I'm Paul Smith. Keep pace with the investment management industry by attending CFA Institute's 69th Annual Conference. Hello, I'm Jason Voss, Content Director for CFA Institute. Welcome to another Take 15 interview. I'm very pleased to have Ron Leeshing here today. He is the chairman of Mountain Pacific Group, and that's a firm that uh, focuses on risk strategy, currency, and many other interesting things. Ron, welcome. Thank you. So for my first question, uh, and today's talk is going to focus on currencies, uh, uh, talk to me about the three to four bullet points you believe general investors, not currency investors, but investors should be aware of with regard to currency? Well, the first thing is that if you're an investor, your biggest short-run risk is equity risk. There's no doubt about it. But your second biggest short-run risk, if you're a global investor, is currency. Currency is the largest uh, risk you have after equity risk. People don't realize that. In addition, when you look long-term, uh, the biggest risk you have is not equities, because if you invest in equities and they decline, they will come back in your lifetime. Currencies, on the other hand, don't come back. Either they decline in their global value uh, or they decline in their internal value due to inflation, which is why currency is a very important aspect for a long-term investor. Interesting. Okay, so next question, and we're going to circle back yeah. and I'm going to ask for some conclusions. In a world of massive quantitative easing, what's the appropriate policy response if you're a non-reserve currency central banker, for example? Like, What would you do? The, well, the uh, it, it becomes very, the world's currency system has now become very unstable. The structural changes we've seen with quantitative easing and the rise of the new investors outside G10 means the currency market is now intrinsically unstable. It makes it extremely difficult for policymakers uh, to both match their internal goals uh, and their external management of the currency. You can't do both. Yeah, I think, I think it looks extremely tricky and I don't envy uh, any of those central bankers and their roles. Um, so. Is ending QE the only reform needed to rehabilitate this, the currency market? Is there something else at work? Well, the currency market is changing structurally uh, because of the growth of the private sector use of currencies. And put very simply, if we went back 15 years, the largest foreign exchange holdings were by central banks and their reserves. Now those are dwarfed by private foreign exchange holdings. And therefore, the central banks, in many cases, are basically bit players in the currency markets. Okay, and so uh, next question. Imagine the world uh, has adopted the renminbi as a reserve currency. What exactly has China done to get there? Well, the, the world will not be able to adopt the renminbi as a reserve currency. It accounts for less than 2% of trading, whereas the US dollar accounts for about 41% of trading. Most importantly, the world is wired in to the US dollar clearing system. Uh, but the role of the renminbi will rise very, very rapidly. It's the world's second largest economy. It should rise rapidly. And do you have any sort of, I know you don't make forecasts, mm. do you have a scenario under which that would occur? What, what, what happens in China to make that, that come? Well, every currency that's ever existed goes, starts off being non-convertible, then goes through a set of transitions through dirty floats and eventually ends up at being fully convertible. Uh, in that path, there are certain liberalizations that occur and the reality is that having a fixed exchange rate between the renminbi and the uh, US dollar is not technically a feasible currency area. In other words, it destabilizes both economies. Therefore, the renminbi should free float at some stage, but it will be a stage free float. And of course, they'll be incorporated, we believe, in the SDR. 
Right, okay. All right, so do you take seriously, and I think I know your answer in, in, in advance, do you take seriously the movement to de-dollarize the oil markets? Well, when we say de-dollarize the oil markets, uh, we could be talking about uh, two things. One, we could be talking about money has three roles. It's a medium of exchange, it's a store of value, and it's a unit of account. So certainly, as a medium of exchange, you will always pay for oil in global markets with dollars. That will be the dollar settlement for medium exchange. But as the unit of account, that could change. In other words, if America is not importing oil from the Middle East, the price will not be set in America. And so we could see the oil price being set against a basket of currencies. Okay, and I know a pet topic of yours is blockchain technology and alternative currencies. I wonder if you would uh, talk to the audience about what you think of blockchain technology. Well, blockchain technology, you know, the concept of a distributed balance sheet is a very, very innovative and clever idea. Uh, unfortunately, cryptocurrencies do have some intrinsic weaknesses. The key point about any financial market, for it to be really successful long term, you have to be able to arbitrage it into other big liquid markets. Otherwise, it will inevitably die. That has happened throughout history. So the biggest problem with Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrencies is the fact you can't arbitrage them into the other deep. So to be a deep currency, you have to have deep underlying parallel money markets. So that will never happen. In addition, as new cryptocurrencies emerge, and there's also hacking, people can't feel secure either on the value or the validity of their transactions. All right, and what would you do? Um, here, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about, I know, a technology that you've helped develop, WPU. Well, global investors, everyone is migrating, every investor in the world, even down to the retail level, is now starting to think of themselves as a global citizen. And certainly, if you're a new sovereign wealth fund or you're an ultra high net worth family, the first question, the first question you have to ask yourself is what mix of foreign currencies should I hold? In other words, you're in a country that's your base currency, you will definitely hold a large amount of your wealth in your base currency. But then you have the first question, what mixture of foreign currencies should I hold? Now, you'll always measure the value of it in US dollars or euros, mainly in US dollars, but what mix would I want? So with working with FTSE, we developed a basket. Uh, it's called World Parity Unit, which basically is kind of like an SDR for investors. It is a stable currency unit because any individual currency can go up or down. It's a very, very simple idea. If we diversify very carefully, we can minimize the volatility. And that then enables one to get the benefits of international investments without the wild swings that extreme concentration on one or two currencies might bring. So I've got two final questions. Um, you laid out earlier today in a speech that I attended um, a fairly grim thesis. Uh, I wonder if you could provide an overview of the thesis, and then I have a follow-up question. Yeah, the, we do see what we call a major risk scenario, and the risk scenario is the following, is that since 2008, uh, a couple of things have happened. One is that the regulators have put in a phenomenal amount of regulation on banks. Dodd-Frank, the Volcker Rules, the Basel III, all of this has stopped banks doing banking, in other words, taking in deposits and lending money. So basically, in addition, there's been a huge influx of liquidity, which has bypassed banks. The, so the tax on banks means that they keep very low inventories of securities. So they've exited the market-making function, but the amount of trading has gone up. This creates the risk of a massive flash crash, where the liquidity, particularly in the US corporate bond market, could vanish in a heartbeat. That is a major potential systemic risk. And for which monetary authorities have no tools. Unfortunately, in the prior crash of 2008, essentially all of the problems were funneled through some 20 financial institutions. So the solution to the 2008 problem was basically 
to get these 20 financial institutions, give them a trillion dollars, and in essence the problem was over because you could identify and the limit the losses. In the next crisis, if it happens, and this is a risk scenario, unfortunately it goes through all the different private market structures, and so the central banks therefore are relatively impotent in their ability to contain such problems. So, what's an investor to do? Well, the, uh, the Chinese saying is of the 36 ways of avoiding danger, the best is to run. Uh, I recommend that people uh, look at risk scenarios. Uh, they may not happen, we hope they will not happen, but if a risk scenario begins to develop, then of course the best investment is short-term government bonds. Uh, but the, uh, the, the, the key to it is really just to monitor the risks and to have in place an action plan of what you will do should the risks start to materialize. Thanks very much, Ron, for your time today. I really appreciate it. Not at all. It's a pleasure. Um, for this and other Take 15 videos, uh, go to www.cfainstitute.org. Thanks for being with us. Copyright 2015 CFA Institute. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.